Chapter Six of Mrs. Solomon Smith Looking On by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. I think of things to do, and Mrs. Smith does them. I couldn't do such things, Mamma. Laura had said to me earnestly as she watched Mrs. Smith cuddling the baby. Nice, sweet children I can fondle, but these are so disagreeable looking and the father and mother are disagreeable. Besides, what is the use? She will wash their faces, but how long will they stay clean, and when will they be washed again, and what does it matter anyway? As she poured these questions out on me, seemingly irritated over her own thoughts, they amused me so much that I could only laugh in answer, and wonder who was arguing with Laura to convince her that she ought to be as benevolent as Mrs. Smith but while the conversation between the father and his new friend was in progress, I noticed that Laura had drawn the boy Johnny to her side, had shown him the machinery of her watch, and the queer little picture set in the charm, had allowed him to finger the chain, and then to count the bright buttons on her sack, and finally seated him beside her, and was in full tide of earnest talk. "'He really is an interesting little fellow,' she explained to me with a slight blush and laugh as she saw me watching her. The baby took a long nap and awoke in peace, was straightened out and kissed and made comfortable by Mrs. Smith before the mother roused from what had evidently been her first rest since the journey began. I had noticed with interest that, after the father took his seat again, he had carefully drawn his wife's head from an uncomfortable position and rested it on his shoulder after which he sat in perfect quiet, neither spitting nor reading until the nap was concluded. The tired woman awoke with a start, as if she had stolen time from duty, and her cheeks grew hot over the condition of things. I either saw, or fancied I saw, a shy sort of smile quiver for an instant on her face as she observed where her head was resting." If I am not mistaken, such care for her comfort was new, and was born of the example set by our old lady. She came with haste and thanks over to her smiling baby. "'He is as good as gold,' said Mrs. Smith, and she made room for the mother to sit beside her, asking a question that detained her. There was some earnest talking after that. Baby accepted of his cleansed and newly filled bottle with a smile of satisfaction, and absorbed himself with its contents while the two women talked. Of course I did not hear the words, but the change on the younger woman's face was so rapid and so marked that there was a sort of a fascination in watching it. She ceased speaking presently, dropping into the role of a listener, and occasionally lifted an ungloved hand, seemed with many days of hard work, and wiped away a tear. Suddenly there was a commotion. Sooner than they had expected, the station at which they were supposed to stop was called out, and it took us all, working rapidly, to robe the baby and Johnny, and see that no bundles or baskets were left behind. There was little time for farewells, though both mother and father managed to grasp Mrs. Smith's hand, and I am sure I heard the mother murmur low, God bless you, I will not forget. As for Laura, she kissed Johnny heartily, and bought an apple and a bag of nuts for his comfort. Poor thing, 
said Mrs. Smith, as the cars having filled up, Laura established her once more in the seat beside me. Poor mother! There she is, trying to bring up them two babies without any of his help. The pronoun was so reverently spoken that I acknowledge my stupidity and absent-mindedness in asking, Who, her husband? No, spoken meditatively. I didn't mean her husband, though the Lord does use that name to make us feel how tender he is of us. I don't know as I ever thought of it that way before. Queer I didn't, too, when I have Solomon. Thy maker is thy husband. Them are his very words. And then, when he is calling on his people to turn away from their follies and do right, he says, For I am married unto you. Shouldn't you think that the young men and women— would take right good care how they made the wedding promises, when they saw from that how much they ought to mean? Thy maker is thy husband. Ain't that wonderful now? I suppose Solomon has thought about that verse a good deal, but it never came to me just like this before. No, child, I was thinking of her trying to get along without the Lord's help. Think of trying to bring up children in this wicked world without asking the Lord about it all boys at that. Satan seems to have a special spite at boys. I've often wondered whether it wasn't because they was apt to be out and out something. Girls now can slip along somehow, and be six of one and half a dozen of the other, and not much of anything. But boys are either downright good or downright bad. That's true, Laura. You needn't go to shaking your pretty head at it. Satan don't much care which side you are on, so long as he can keep you just about milk warm. That's the kind that sort of sickens folks. Violin hot water won't do it, and ice cold water won't do it. I tell you, it's the halfway between things that do the mischief. And are girls always halfway between, Auntie? Oh, not all of them, bless the Lord. But then they're more apt than boys not to know what they think, nor which way they may happen to turn. So you can never be sure of them. That's the reason they do much mischief. A downright wicked man you can look out for. You know just about where he will stand on all questions, and you can plan accordingly. But a slippery sort of halfway one you may coax into a corner where you would like to have him stay a while, and when you go to look for him he ain't there. He has slipped out at some knot-hole and gone. They was uncommon interesting folks somehow, that family, wasn't they? When I felt that little baby's heart beating away, close to mine, I couldn't help asking the Lord to keep him safe. There's such a lot of evil to keep him from. How that mother can stand it without running to him every few minutes, I don't see. And there he is, willing to be as interested in it all as even her husband could be. Thy maker is thy husband. I wish I had thought of that verse to tell her. If you had said it right out when you was thinking of it, you might have done a sight of good. I winced under this unintentional rebuke. Mrs. Smith's mind ran so much on Bible words that the connection was complete to her, but I had not thought of the verse. Still, I said, it might not have done any good if I had. The woman did not impress me as one who had very refined ideas of the marriage relation. I doubt if the figure would have helped her. Mrs. Smith shook her head emphatically. Yes, she had, real true ideas. 
when she talked of her trials she took great pains went out of her way in fact to show me that her husband warn't no ways to blame was as good a man as ever lived and provided all he could for the family she's true enough to them promises the trouble is she hasn't thought much of anything about the lord all these years sent two babies to live in the other city too i asked her if she didn't feel grateful like to him for taking care of them for her and keeping of em safe for her i told her i didn't see how she ever stood beside their graves and had em covered up unless she was leaning on him all the while and hearing his voice a-whispering i've got them in my arms this minute and i'll carry them in my bosom how do folks get through the dark places without the lord i don't understand it if the sun shone year in and year out and there weren't any such thing as trouble seems to me it would be hard enough but when the clouds are thicker than the sunshine it beats me at this point there came one of those nuisances of modern travel a peanut and candy and apple and orange and book boy making his way through the car pitching packages of prize candy right and left i thought there was a law against gambling complained laura in a somewhat fretful tone news agents on the cars always trouble her there's no gambling about these ma'am explained the bright-faced young man respectfully there's a prize in every single package whereat laura laughed but mrs smith said a prize in every one eh nobody need go without unless they choose why what a good illustration that is a great many folks choose to go without don't they ay that they do and complain of you for offering em a chance he said significantly so they do about the other prize she said gravely i've heard em many a time they think folks are meddling with what don't concern them and they wish they'd mind their own business and all in life you are after is to get them to take a prize that's ready and waiting for them the flush on the young man's face led me to think that he understood the illustration but he moved on without making any answer and mrs smith fingered the paper of candy curiously read the statements concerning it carefully and then got out her old-fashioned leather purse that had belonged to solomon since he was a young man and counted out ten cents ready for the agent's return i've decided to buy a prize she said looking up at him with a smiling face though my prize that i'm talking about is without money and without price not that it didn't cost enough but a rich friend paid for it it is impossible to give you an idea of the sweet earnestness on her face as she said these words the young man seemed by no means displeased yet he had no answer other than to say you'll find the candy fresh and good i deal in honest articles then mrs smith fumbled for her key and unlocked with some trouble the old-fashioned satchel at her feet and got out and studied over carefully certain little paper-covered books selecting one presently whose title was the great prize and underneath was printed in black letters with a hand pointing to it so run that ye may obtain in the course of the next hour the busy young agent whisked through the car again and was halted by a winning beckon from mrs smith's hand i tried your prize she said briskly and it's real good too 
nice fresh candy the kind i like now i want you to look into the prize i was telling you about if you'll read this little book it will give you the whole story will you do it turn about is fair play he said laughing albeit the color deepened on his cheeks how much is to pay not a cent didn't i tell you the prize was free you will be sure to read it remember you promised an old woman i'll read it he said and went on his way i hope i'll meet that young man in the father's house was mrs smith's simple comment i wish i had asked him his name but then i'll remember the face in the due course of time we spread out our lunch and dined mary had pleased herself in preparing a sumptuous one which laura arranged on the seat in as dainty a fashion as her limits would allow bewailing meantime the fact that there was no palace car with its portable tables on this train mrs smith had also a capacious basket from which she produced generous slices of bread and butter sandwiched with baked beans i think we never told mary how delicious those sandwiches were nor how we neglected the cream biscuit and cold chicken to enjoy them a ruddy-faced german family seated a few seats forward of us had claimed our attention more than once they were neat and clean and quiet-looking two of the children had petitioned with hungry eyes for fruits and candies from the passing baskets their appeals however being always denied by wise shakes of the head from father or mother i believe those children are hungry laura said as we were spreading our meal see how wistfully they watch us mrs smith said nothing i had not thought that she heard but she suddenly laid down her own sandwich dived into the bottom of her basket for three others large thick substantial and went toward the german group eager words followed in a jargon that the old lady did not in the least understand noddings of heads smiles german thanks and she came back richer with the gratitude of warm hearts while she was absent laura made this brief comment i think of things to do and mrs smith does them i was just wishing i had the courage to give those people some of our lunch the courage did the act call for any special grace in that direction oh i don't know suppose they had been indignant thought i was offering them charity and refused it wouldn't that have been dreadful i said i don't think you could have survived such an affliction laura laughed the child is a little inclined to moral cowardice in these minor directions mrs smith trotted back presently with some bright-looking cards illuminated texts in the german language there are so many little germans live in that lane back of our house she explained to me half apologetically as i watched her selecting them with care i keep a lot of these on hand the children like them and seeing they are the lord's own words there is no reason why he can't use them for his glory if he thinks best laura said i as she trotted away with them mrs smith gives more than lunches they are only to prepare the way for that which she believes the lord will use yes'm laura said looking at me with laughing eyes in which there shone tears i couldn't do that part but i might have helped to prepare the way 
i wonder if some of this cake would have any influence in that direction then after a moment of silence mamma there is another thing that keeps me back quite as much as the danger of being misunderstood and harshly repulsed i'm afraid of ridicule see how that elegantly dressed lady sitting just behind those germans is watching her and whispering to the gentleman at her side they are enjoying themselves at her expense when they get home to-night they will tell how she looked and acted and repeat all the queer things she said and make their audience shout with laughter now i'm afraid of ridicule it shrivels me all up and it makes me indignant to think that she is the subject of their fun you draw on your imagination for facts i said remember you are by no means certain that they are ridiculing her but laura gave her head a positive shake yes i am as sure of it as though i heard what they are saying they look like people of that class mrs smith came back to us presently but her ministrations were not over the elegantly dressed lady and gentleman had by no means escaped her sharp eyes she had designs on them while i was up there she began addressing herself to laura i heard that lady in the silk cloak say that she was so thirsty that it made her head ache and that she would give anything for a bunch of grapes he tried to get her some but grapes ain't plenty this time of year you know i was thinking dear that if you would take her a few of that great big bunch you've got left it might do a sight of good poor thing she looks tired out poor laura flushed to the temples her moral cowardice or whatever it is that holds her back came to the front at once i couldn't do it she said in a distressed tone they would consider it an impertinence she might have the grapes and welcome if she would come after them but i can't get up courage to offer them i don't believe she will come said mrs smith dryly maybe you could get up courage to give em to me then and i'll run the risk of her thinking me impertinent of course laura was lavish at once with her grapes and mrs smith hurried away not without stopping however to hunt over her package of little books i like to slip in one of his messages for the thirsty soul whenever the lord gives me a chance she said by way of explanation mamma i wish she wouldn't laura said twisting nervously in her seat the idea of offering a tract to such a stylishly dressed lady as that seems to me it is just another instance of casting pearls before swine End of chapter 6